0: I'm Bryce Miller. And I'm Jacob Schatz. And this is Talking Atlas. Hello everyone and welcome back to Talking Atlas. This week we will be delivering to you a chaff chat, but first, we had a query that we put out to you last week. We asked you which among the Guilds of Ravnica guilds, really sounds redundant, do you most identify with and why? Today's response is from Lady Grimm on our Discord. Lady Grimm says, Color-wise, I think I'm black-white, then green-white, then green-black, but guild-wise, I think I'm Golgari. I love the forgotten and broken flavor Vraska is bringing to them.
1: I wholeheartedly agree with this sentiment. Green-black and Golgari as a guild choice were not super high on my list originally, but the more I thought about Vraska taking the guild and having that ideological direction, the more I warmed up to the idea. And I think that's the strength the Guilds of Ravnica is bringing. Like we said about last week with the Demir, Demir and Golgari both had kind of shaky philosophical ground, but they fit a thematic niche for working in a city. But with this set, they're really coming into their own with their
0: ideology. In previous Ravnica sets, it feels a lot more like Demir and Golgari existed to finish out the cycle, if that makes sense. There are other guilds that have had stronger identities, and Demir was arbitrarily the backstabby one, and for some reason could never let anything happen ever, and Golgari were not terribly well-developed, grew mushrooms.
1: Maintained the sewers.
0: Yeah, and occasionally killed people. Which, I mean, I think all guilds at this point kind of dabble in that. But this entire political uprising is a much stronger identity for that guild. It's so much nicer.
1: I think we can thank Nicol Bolas for that in a weird way, because with Bolas starting to intrude on the plane's politics, I think the creative team had to make a decision about which guilds were being overtaken by Bolas's influence, but then regardless of that, what each guild thought about that. Whether or not they were being taken over... Why would they have gone along with Bolas's plan? Why would they resist it? What sort of changes would they make in how they deal with the rest of the city now that this external presence is arriving?
0: Our query for next week is not a question this time. It's a statement. It's an order, maybe even. A demand! We want you... Not to enlist in the U.S. Army, that's not. I realized (laughs) I was going very Uncle Sammy. We want you to send us the Ravnican non-basic land that you would most like to live in. And in return, we will give you a description of what your room would be in that non-basic land. As is our way, Jacob, do you have a land where you would like to live? What seems pleasant? What seems homey?
1: I do indeed. And while it doesn't necessarily fit with my color identity... Homey is a very good word for it. I want to be on the small door Selesnya guild Guildgate from the new Guilds of Ravnica set. Each guild has a pair of Guildgate arts and flavor texts, and one of them is the big sweeping front face of the guild, and the other one is the tiny little back door of the guild. That is definitely more homey.
0: I think the flavor text really is a big contributor here. We leave our garden open so all may have wander, but guarded. So all may have peace, which, while it is a little bit militaristic and indicative of the current political climate, also tells you that this is probably a pretty solid place to be. And props to Dimitar Marinsky. We've been seeing a lot more of Dimitar's work on lands in recent months, I think starting in Ixalan, if not a little bit earlier, and wonderful, absolutely wonderful work on these guild gates.
1: And what about you? Which non-basic land would you like to live in?
0: Full disclosure... I was feeling a little bit attacked because Jacob made a joke about the one that I had already (laughs) picked, but I would like to live in the Cliff Child's art of Maze's End. This is the Maze's End promo that you could get at the Dragon's Maze pre-release. Compositionally, it's maybe somewhat problematic of an image because I feel as though the Maze's End to the top right of the photo, the form of Azor, also it's a painting, not a photo, anyway, (laughs) is not really as prominent to the eye as the darker foreground to the bottom left. But this art captures a very kind of warm, pleasant, urban evening feel to me. And that is really the epitome of what I enjoy out of an environment that I live in. I could not abide living in the country or in the suburbs. Because I am someone who is so active and so extroverted that I I need a relatively close, dense opportunity for socializing. Cities tend to fulfill that much better than either suburbs or country because there's a higher density of people, and also there are more places that I can explicitly go to to do something. In the suburbs, for example, it's going to be much harder to find a local game store that I can go and meet people and play magic with. So the image of a welcoming urban environment is where I always want to be living, including if I were on Ravnica which I suppose is hard to avoid the urban (laughs) environments there. I would be fine. I would love living in Ravnica. I have many friends who would probably be more gruel inclined where they would be driven absolutely nuts by the lack of greenery or at least the lack of clear, untouched natural areas. I would be fine, perfectly fine. This is why
1: I picked Selesnya because it's a nice little balance between has plants and is near a Walmart (laughs)
0: Do you think Ravnica has Walmart? Yes.
1: It's where you go to buy Defenders.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, that took me way too long. I can't be stopped. Uh, Well, with a goblin locksmith, I can't be either. Oh, no. That was a weaker Defender joke, I will admit. Well, let's stop making terrible jokes about random cards and start talking about random cards. Jacob, hit us with your first randomly selected card.
1: The first randomly selected card for today is another non-basic land, it's City of Brass! City of Brass is a land. Whenever City of Brass becomes tapped, it deals one damage to you, but you can tap it for one mana of any color. This printing is specifically from the Modern Event Deck 2014, and has flavor text, There is much to learn here, but few can endure the ringing of the spires. By Nulakam the Archivist. Whenever I think of five color lands... That is lands that can tap for any color. City of Brass always jumps to the top of my list. It enters untapped. Yes, it deals damage, but being able to tap for one mana of any color the turn that it comes in is pretty strong.
0: One of City of Brass's recent reprintings was in the first Modern Masters set. And I say that, I suppose it's not quite that recent, but it's at least one of the most recent. So take it or leave it. And interestingly, factored very heavily into the marketing material for that set. Not necessarily because City of Brass is such an incredibly iconic card. I would say, as lands go, it's middlingly iconic. But it was on the box art, and I believe the set symbol is intended to be somewhat reminiscent of the brass spires and lobed arches themselves, which would then be replicated in the Modern Masters 2015 set symbol by taking the same symbol and kind of splitting it in half. I'm trying to
1: remember how old this card is, in fact, because if it's as old as I think it is, I think there's a, an old, like, typical fantasy story idea of the City of Brass, maybe back in the Arabian Nights, but it has definitely been adapted into a Dungeons & Dragons fixture, being a city on the elemental plane of fire where Ifrites and other fire spirits are generated from.
0: Our next card is Twisted Abomination, the printing from Eternal Masters. It's five and a black for a 5-3 creature zombie mutant. With black, regenerate it, or swamp cycling two, which means you may pay two, discard this card, then search your library for a swamp card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Ew, this card looks gross. I mean... It's called Twisted Abomination, and it's a zombie mutant. What did you expect?
1: Well, I don't know. It's just... Go on. It's especially gross. Abominable, one might say. I'm waiting for the punchline. Oh, no.
0: (laughs) Is there no punchline? No, I just...
1: The the geometry of this, and I understand this is where Twisted comes in. (laughs) The limbs are very off balance. The pose is warped beyond belief. It's good art, all things considered, because it's making me a little squeamish. But one of the legs doesn't quite end so much as stop in three different directions.
0: No, I think that's all an accurate assessment. I am well acquainted with my twisted abominations on account of how much I love the cycling mechanic. For some reason, it just feels good when many cards in your deck can be pitched to either get a land or get a new card. And I have built at least one prominent deck in my collection that is cycling themed. That is a Lesha Cycling, black, red, white. And I've been debating building a second one, maybe in Zer Cycling, because Zer is a creature that can fetch enchantments, and one of the best cycling enchantments lets you flicker creatures and is actually quite powerful.
1: That's Astro Slide, right?
0: Yes, that is correct. I probably should just state the card. I just mentioned it out loud because
1: Astro Slide was a real deck back in the day. <laughs> Oh, here's a weird printing. This is Misdirection. Three blue blue for an instant. You may exile a blue card from your hand rather than pay this spell's mana cost. Change the target of target spell with a single target. The printing in question is from the World Championship decks from 2001.
0: Good heavens, I never saw the original art for this card.
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on here. It appears that someone's head is being switched with... The head of someone who's got a the body of a pineapple?
0: Roughly equivalent.
1: At least texture-wise. Oh, well, there's even a Kefnet big hand in the foreground.
0: I still haven't really processed what the person in the middle is doing. I have the general awareness that the head on the left is from the body on the right, and the head on the right is from the body on the left. Is this the mage who has cast the spell to swap them? I believe that's
1: the case, yes.
0: Okay, why are they reaching out at the camera and... What on earth is on their face and why is their hair blown back like an is it spellcaster?
1: Number 1 because they're coming for you next. Number 2, I think that's just what the Ilvec or the Envec or one of them vex look like. Maybe they're Thran. I'm told that there were Thran at some point a long while ago.
0: You'll pardon me if I feel absolutely zero threatening energy from this foolish creature. Not even from the big
1: round eyes on the mask. Or the talons stretching towards you menacingly? No. Or the right angle amulet coming off the guy's neck?
0: Yeah, what the heck <gasps> is that? Why is that flying so straight? Blue Magic! <laughs> if it's all the same to you, Jacob, I'm going to stop looking at this card. <laughs> and instead look at Cather's Shield. It's zero mana for an equipment. Equip creature gets plus zero, plus three, and has vigilance. Equip three. Perhaps the most notable application of Cathar's Shield is in the Cheerios deck. And only some Cheerios decks, to be fair. Cheerios is an archetype named for the mana cost of the cards it often plays. And that is, things with mana cost 0. In fact, in the name Cheerios, the O is actually a 0, like Leet speak style. In Standard, the place that people tended to play Cathar's Shield, it was printed in Eldritch Moon, was with Sram, who is 1 and a white for a 2-2 dwarf. That when you cast an Aura, Equipment, or Vehicle spell, you draw a card. They would also sometimes combo this with Paradoxical Outcomes, which is three and a blue for an instant. Return any number of target non-land, non-token permanents you control to their owner's hands. Draw a card for each card you returned to your hand this way. So with this and a couple of other low-cost equipment like Bonesaw, also zero mana, you had a card draw engine in SRAM. You could play them for free, draw a card. Play it for free, draw a card. Play it for free, draw a card then cast Paradoxical Outcome to draw three cards, then cast them all again to draw three more cards. And if you're wondering
1: how this deck wins, it usually didn't. In Modern, however, there was a chance at winning because of another equipment-based card called Pure Steel Paladin. Pure Steel Paladin is white-white for a 2-2 creature human knight. Whenever an equipment enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. But more importantly, it had a Metalcraft ability Equipment you control have equip zero as long as you control three or more artifacts. So you play all of your zero drop equipment, eventually have more than three on the board, and then equip them all to your pure steel paladin and try to swing in for lethal. The modern variant also has the opportunity to just turn it into a storm deck and play all of your
0: zero drops and then just cast Grapeshot. Which frankly is probably better. But at that point, why aren't you just playing storm? Yeah, that's a valid question. Hey,
1: neat, I got a Guild of Ravnica card! This is one of the split cards, so you'll forgive me while I turn my head sideways to read this. Assure and Assemble. Assure is two green-white hybrid. For an instant, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. That creature gains indestructible until end of turn. Or you may cast this as Assemble, which is four green-white for an instant. Create three two-two green and white elf knight creature tokens with vigilance. Oh, my neck. Oh, there's a rotate button
0: on Scryfall. I'm a fool. There is. I was wondering why you weren't using that. Well, you see... I thought you just really wanted the bit.
1: I was zoomed in on the card art, so the rotate button was below the card art, and I didn't see it until after we had gotten through this bit. It was a bit! Yeah! I knew it all the time!
0: I don't recall if I mentioned it during either of the Guilds of Ravnica spoilers episodes, but I feel as though Wizards have done a good job recently of... Weaving together tribal elements from set to set. Dominaria had some reasonably prominent knight tribal elements. Going back as far as Eldritch Moon, you could find other knights. There are a lot of vampire knights, I think a few in Shadows Over Innistrad as well. And then going forward in time, we have a lot of elf knights. In fact, elf knights are one of the most prominently created tokens in this set not only does it help sustain the theme, kind of keep it alive a bit longer in standard, or maybe give more fuel for people's commander decks, it also gives you options. And I love color options for tribal deck building. When there is only one commander that cares about a particular tribe of cards, oftentimes that commander is objectively the best choice, the most powerful choice to play that tribe. Having a fairly prominent population of vampire knights from Innistrad and from Ixalan block, but also having prominent elf knights from Guilds of Ravnica, and maybe later in the block, probably not, because we would need to have green and white again, and only the third set might have that. I can now play knights across four colors and have a reasonably good card base in each of those colors, though white is the most central, obviously, because the ideas of honor and knighthood line up very well with white's ideals. I could, if I wanted to, make a non-blue knight deck, and that would be fine. I could make Ariel, the black-white knight commander printed in Dominaria. But I could easily make a Mardu-colored or Abzan-colored knight deck, and it wouldn't be just worse than making an Aryel deck.
1: Similarly, I find it interesting that most of the soldier tokens coming out of Selesnya this time around have lifelink, because that's not an innately soldier thing to have usually we expect something like i don't know first strike or vigilance but it fits well with Celesnia, and then similarly to what you're saying it plays well with the life gain themes that were in ixalan block
0: ah oh, we have a very very entertaining card here Carver demon three black 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 for a six six flying creature demon whenever hellcarver demon deals combat damage to a player sacrifice all their permanents you control And discard your hand. Exile the top six cards of your library. You may cast any number of non-land cards exiled this way without paying their mana costs. Great. Googly moogly. Is this card good? No. Is it hilarious? Yes.
1: (laughs) I didn't realize that said all other permanents. And not all other non-land permanents. That's disgusting. Everything. I feel like the only quote-unquote, and heavy, heavy air quotes here, good way to use this
0: is to swing after casting Doomsday? That would do it. Doomsday is a black card that lets you get rid of your entire library except for five cards, which means you have those five things that you're guaranteed to get. And I'm okay with playing it that way, because it
1: means that one way or another, I'm about to finish this game of magic. Either I do my thing and it works and I have some sort of stupid combo that I've stacked on top of my deck or rather replaced my deck with and then I just get to do it or it doesn't work and then I can scoop and go home.
0: For a little bit I was mentally debating the merits of using this in a Shadowborn Apostles deck. Shadowborn Apostles is one of the currently three cards in existence that let you have any number of them in your deck. They cost black, And if you have six of them, you can sacrifice all of them for a black mana to search for a demon and put it onto the battlefield. So you could, end of turn, get a Hellcarver Demon to guarantee your hit with it, almost. I still don't think it's good, but if I really wanted to roll the dice in that specific manner, I think a Shadowborn Apostles deck is the best application. Until you consider that your deck is probably equal parts lands as Shadowborn Apostles.
1: So, you sack six apostles, get your demon, sack everything else on your board, hit four apostles and two lands. Or even worse, hit six apostles, cast all of them, and have no mana to activate them.
0: Well, you can float your mana. You don't That's need to use it all. I do
1: appreciate the art on this one. The demon looks a little bit grody, but the guy immediately in front of the demon, in center frame, is making the same face slash, like, pose that I would make immediately after drawing this card, which is, oh, why'd I put this in this deck? Ah, jeez. What was I
0: thinking? This was a terrible deal. Now that I have zoomed in closer on the art, I can't shake the idea that these people are not necessarily horribly stricken by this demon. They just all have a splitting headache. Like, oh, 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 that's not, oh, I lost those mana bonds. Now- as we're holding ah, back the migraine. Ah. Oof. Ouch, my contract. Oof.
1: <laughs> I'm getting a lot of really weird cards for my rolls today. This is Knight of the Kitchen Sink, and I must express which one it is. Knight of the Kitchen Sink is white, white for an artifact creature, Cyborg Knight. It's a 2 2. This one has First Strike and Protection from Even Collector Numbers. With helpful reminder text, nothing with an even collector number can block, target, deal damage to, or attach to this creature. Flavor
0: text, whew, for a minute I thought I'd forgotten the gravy boat. And now begins the entertaining process of me also searching this on Scryfall to find the right one. It's 12B, so
1: if you have Night Thank of the Kitchen Stink there, it is number 12B in Scryfall. The order of the widget was naturally not my favorite faction in Unstable. I didn't dislike any of them, but the League of Dastardly Doom? Was that the full title of that one? The supervillains were my favorite.
0: Yes, League of Dastardly Doom. I think that is correct. Thank
1: goodness. But the cyborg aesthetic as a choice for a faction was neat because we don't usually get True cyborgs in our magic. We get Magitech implements built into somebody, we get Tesseret on occasion, but the full scale I have taken this part of my body and replaced it with a non-magical mechanical device is banished to the realm of unsets. I'm just now realizing that this knight is built into his horse. Either that, or he's riding in his horse like a go-kart. I'm not sure which I prefer.
0: Now, is it that he's built into the horse, or there isn't really a distinction between horse and rider? Are you suggesting- well, no, because there
1: has to be a distinction, or else this would be a centaur. Ah, oh, you're right. Ah, Cyborg Centaur would be great. Cyborg Centaur sounds like an okay band name.
0: <laughs> I agree. Not a great band name. Just an okay At one. At an okay band name. That's a
1: fine band name. I might buy a t-shirt.
0: They probably got third in your local Battle of the Bands.
1: Yeah, but like a respectable third. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was close. not have, like a second could have gone either way.
0: Agreed, agreed. No one will see their reunion tour coming because no one will know they split up. At which point, I guess that's when you have the horse and the knight separately. Right, it's their solo acts. Cyborg centaur becomes cyborg and cyborg horse.
1: <laughs> not cyborg and
0: centaur. No. Oh no, that's right. You don't detach the flesh from the mechanical bits. Ugh. You detach the the horsey bit from the. I'm gonna stop. <laughs> Let's rewind a bit. This card is a reference to Don Quixote hitting the random button. <laughs> Next up, Living Lands. Three in a green for an enchantment. All forests are 1-1 creatures that are still lands. I have almost a personal attachment to this card, which is a weird statement. One of my persistent favorite decks is Caneo Centiro Living Lands.deck. And it doesn't use the card Living Lands because I don't have that many forests in my four-color non-black deck. But the theme is still that my lands are alive. The hills are alive (laughs) with the mechanic awaken. That sort of thing.
1: In fact, when you said this is the card that you got for this time, I was like, wait, is that not an archetype? I didn't realize there was a legitimate card called Living Lands, and it's been here since Alpha. It's true. Oh, this is a classic board wipe. Armageddon. Three and a white for a sorcery. Destroy all lands. This is from Starter1999 that has the helpful reminder text, This includes your lands. This art looks particularly barren. The art here is by Rob Alexander, and I'm pretty sure most of the Armageddon arts are devastated, but something about the combination of the white card frame, as well as the white border, and then the Mostly white, fuzzy art for this blasted landscape makes the whole card come together into one bleak package.
0: I'm not entirely decided on it, but I may actually prefer this art most of all for Armageddon. You have the lovely looking Chris Ron art that was used in Masters 25 as well as FTV Annihilation. Which is quite pretty looking, but looks like it could easily be a very vibrant sunset over a weird-looking mountain range. Then you have the John Avon art that is the sun shining over a very weirdly kind of realistic-looking desert ground. And then there's the Jesper Miraforce art, which has a devastated city of some kind. Oh, and I can't forget that there is a, an invocation art from Amonket which is by Florian de Desincourt, which looks fantastic but it's also kind of hard to read what's going on there. I assume it's like a golem coming in to destroy, presumably, your lands. I think it's just a blown-up pyramid. Oh, you're right. I've zoomed in now. (laughs) Thank you, Scryfall, for your high-res cards. So, in summary, this is probably the art that I like best for this, that really expresses the idea that there's just nothing left.
1: I think another nice effect from this card art is it's not just the blasted land The art by John Avon has the land itself as the focus of the destruction, and it's really cool, but there's something about the remains of the smoke, the smoldering ashes of this completely destroyed landscape in the Rob Alexander art that suggests that the spell was just cast. The desert from John Avon's art, or the abandoned city from Jesper Forces art, they get across the idea that this is a land that is no longer living, but it almost feels like time could have done this same thing to the location. Rob Alexander's art says, no, 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 you just smashed this place beyond repair. Your spell did this. You're that powerful. That's magic.
0: I'm on the same page with that analysis. I would add that John Evans' art I do not think really communicates the idea of stuff got destroyed. The mood of it is more I am in an inhospitable desert than it is the land has been destroyed. Agreed. Moving right along now to Welding Sparks. It's two and a red for an instant. Welding Sparks deals X damage to target creature where X is three plus the number of artifacts you control. Flavor text, the fires of invention burn in all of us. I fight for the freedom to unleash those flames. Attributed to PNLR. Now, Jacob, if you have not yet read The Artist, who do you think The Artist is?
1: Well, judging by the energy and my unironic use of the word rivulets, I must assume Raymond Swanland. That's correct! Ding, 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 ding!
0: We've discussed Raymond Swanland before on Chaff Chat. He's probably one of my top five or ten favorite artists. There's something very distinctive about his art, which Jacob often characterizes as... Rivulets! If you unironically use the word rivulets to describe the light play in your art, Raymond Swanland is your man.
1: This is not a knock against the art, at least in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's not a criticism. It is merely a statement. It is an observation, if you will.
1: It does a good job at conveying the movement of energy in the piece. And you can see this best in the two pieces of Planeswalker art that he got to do for Nyssa versus Omnixilis. The uh, dual deck set. As well as on the cover of the 5th edition Monster
0: Manual. It's true, I picked that up and I said, this is very Raymond swanland And lo and behold in the credits.
1: Next up, I have Branching Bolt. Branching Bolt is one red-green for an instant. Choose one or both. Branching Bolt deals three damage to target creature with flying. And Branching Bolt deals three damage to target creature without flying. Flavor text, lightning lives in everything. In living flesh and growing things. It must be set free. Attributed to Rakamar. This is the printing from Arch Enemy.
0: I, um, I didn't realize that they had Jun's mages be this scantily clad. Yeah. Why, you'd think they'd want clothing on Jund. There's a lot of undergrowth, a lot of things that might bite you and, like, take some skin off with it. I would want clothes. Fair,
1: but you gotta remember that most of the material they're working with is either... Dragon pelt or goblin pelt. And with the former, that's gotta be warm. And with the latter, it's usually too small.
0: I'm not sure. If the choice is between being warm but safe covered in dragon scale or dying, I think I would go with the overly warm choice.
1: Well, it's not like, oh, I feel a bit warm today. It's, I mean, near an active volcano. Actually, in that case, dragon hide might help you out, huh? Maybe.
0: Maybe. Only maybe. I admit I'm not a taxidermist. I don't think you call a taxidermist for that. You call a taxidermist to stuff something. Hmm. I think you need a tanner, or does a, ta- does a tanner do the stripping of the skin off the animal?
1: No, tanning is a process that you do to the hide, so... All right, yep. Hmm. All right, no, I can accept that. I needed a dragon
0: tanner. You need a dragon tanner.
1: That's got to be really big and need a lot of electricity
0: to run. Be careful. You'll get dragon scout cancer.
1: (laughs) That would be a terrible enchantment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Next up, we have compulsive research. Two and a blue for a sorcery. Target player draws three cards. Then that player discards two cards unless they discard a land card. Because if it's in your hand, it's a land card, not a land. It's only a land card. Straight up if it's on the battlefield. But I digress. First time for everything. (laughs) Ahem.
1: Which printing is this? What art and what flavor text?
0: This is the C14 printing. It's Commander 2014. Flavor text, four parts molten bronze, yes. One part frozen mercury, yes, yes. But then what? Which is originally from Ravnica City of Guilds and has that curious quality that a lot of Ravnica City of Guilds and that blocks art have, where it's kind of oddly indistinct but involves a lot of lines, a lot of borders.
1: Yeah, the different frames of reference here are flattened a bit by the way that the line work is made, so a lot is happening on what appears to be one layer of depth, so it gets a little little bit muddied. I appreciate that this flavor text is good enough to persist beyond its original art, Because the reprint that this card got in Modern Masters 2017 and then archenemy Nicol Bolas with completely different character art had the exact same flavor text. Alright, the next card that I've drawn here is weirdly similar thematically. It's Obsessive Search. Obsessive Search is blue for an instant draw card, and it has madness blue. So if you discard this card, discard it into exile. When you do, cast it for its madness cost or put it into your graveyard. Flavor text, the question strained his sanity. The answer snapped it in half.
0: If this card were printed into Modern, how playable do you think it would be?
1: I don't think it's good enough in the current metagame for Modern, because Modern right now is full of a bunch of weird combo decks or very tightly wound value engines. And I'm not sure that... This could do enough on its own to make any really interesting waves in Modern.
0: I suppose I'm looking towards the blue-red, maybe blue-red-black decks that will tend to play a lot of draw-then-discard effects. There are control decks that play Jace Friend's Prodigy, whose tap ability lets you draw a card and discard a card. Or you have decks playing Faithless Looting or doing other things to fill their graveyard. Are those decks just not prominent enough to make this matter right now? Or like a Delver deck, maybe even? I don't know
1: that Delver's prominent enough. I think it's a it's a blue problem, really, because I don't know that enough decks are running blue heavily enough to have a blue card that just acts reliably as this one does. I was having a think about this earlier this week and how, not about this card, but about what blue cards they could print into Modern. And the Eternal blue card that we always talk about when is this okay for modern is counterspell. OG counterspell, blue-blue instant counter-target spell, no drawbacks, no weirdness about it. And I'm not sure that it's safe enough to print, but I think it's, based on the current modern metagame, maybe safer or not inherently backbreaking as it once might have been. Because I think it would open up some new space... But there's not any decks out there right now that are really heavily invested in blue. At least not in the toppest tier. Grixis decks are the ones that you see most reliably in modern right now. And then, of course, there's Jace, the Mind Sculptor, which, if I'll remind you, didn't completely upend the format when he was let back in. So I don't think that there's enough blue going around at the highest amount of modern play to have a deck that wants something like this and especially wants it in blue. I think most of the discard-oriented decks are more in the red-black sphere, and I don't know if they'd be willing to splash blue for this.
0: That was a very detailed response. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I made most of that up, but I remembered just enough from the modern <laughs> metagame that it sounded good, didn't it? it
0: sounded pretty good. <laughs> Our next card is Femeref Scouts. Two and a white for a 1-4 creature-human scout. Flavor text, The days before the war were filled with strange portents. Scouts and herders spoke of villages reduced to ash, of farmers taken from their fields, and of foul beasts roaming the plains in packs. I know, for I spoke to them all. Attributed to Hakim Lorweaver. Thereby providing the only connection I have to this card, close friend of mine once had a Hakim Loreweaver deck, which is a very, very bad, but still workable, mono-blue Auras deck.
1: Hakeem must have had plenty of time to talk to all those people, because the only time that he actually gets auras is during your upkeep. 8am, get a bunch of auras. 9am, talk to farmers. 10am, talk to beasts. 11, early lunch. I was trying to figure out where I had heard of Femoreph before, and it's on two other cards. The first is Femeref Enchantress, which we talked about during our Enchantress deck text for Commander. And then on Quende, Pride of Femurath, from Dominaria. Oh, I keep getting weird printings of pretty okay cards. Our next card here is Aura of Silence, which is one white white for an enchantment. Artifact and enchantment spells your opponent's cast cost two more to cast, and you can sacrifice it to destroy target artifact or enchantment. And this is from the World Championship decks from 1998. And I wish that they would transcribe the signatures because I don't know old school pro players well enough to be able to say who is signatures on this card.
0: Since I don't believe you mentioned last time the world championship decks were a I'm not sure if I should say short lived definitely temporary project wherein Wizards would print a gold bordered edition of exactly the deck that the pros the two I think top pros are bringing to the finals of the format. They also had different card backs, so that doubly made them not-legal magic cards in non-casual settings.
1: But it was a neat experiment to be able to play the decks that the highest level of players were running at that time. You could pretend that you were in the World Championship, and that everybody was judging your misplays.
0: Next up, we have a card that is the kind of bad you can only get from the set legends. Dwarven Song. Red for an instant. I will give you the old text followed by the new text. The original text for this card is Changes the color of one or more target creatures to red until end of turn. You choose which and how many creatures are affected. Costs to tap, maintain, or use a special ability of target creature remain entirely unchanged. Oracle text is Any number of target creatures become red until end of turn. Why would you want to do this? Chances are good that you probably don't. Color hate used to be existent. Still wasn't good. (laughs) Used to be. Period.
1: This is also a very odd piece of art for dwarves that are intended to be in song. The first is, they don't really look like dwarves, they just look like a bunch of old guys kind of looking at each other. And the second is that the two dwarves in the foreground appear to be critiquing each other on, like, how to sing in the middle of the song.
0: Yeah, because the guy in the background's really just going at it. He's
1: having a great time. And this isn't, like... I'm biased because I've seen the first Hobbit movie, and I have an idea of what a dwarven song is supposed to look like, I have an idea of what dwarves are supposed to look like, I have an idea of the type of song that they sing, and these just look like a bunch of noble folks getting around in a choir meeting, because there's a stand of sheet music that is right along the edge of the frame that I think was added just to make it look like they weren't having a particularly heated conversation. I think you're right. I I think you're right. But it complicates the whole idea of dwarves singing, because usually you're thinking of, I don't know, a a jaunty drinking tune, because jaunty and drinking are the two things that dwarves are. But this just looks like a bunch of angry people yelling at each other, and a music stand happens to be there.
0: All right, Jacob, bring it to us. Deliver us one last excellent card.
1: Our last card for today is Dragon Style Twins. Dragon Style Twins is 3 red red for a creature, Human Monk. It has double strike and prowess, and it's a 3-3. Three three. Flavor text, we are the flicker of the flame and its heat, the two sides of a single blade. This card is important to me because whenever I think of the time when I was really getting into Magic story, I remember the, at that time, Uncharted Realms story about these characters. And it fascinated me that we were getting a full chapter of story, like a a real short story, about these characters that we would never really see again.
0: To be clear, that is a real short story, not a real short story. That's
1: correct. Yeah, a full-sized short story, like a story that was shorter than a novel or even a novelette or novella or something. It was a a complete story. It was a complete story that I got to read about the dragon-style twins. And it was neat. It was a side of Tarkir that wasn't necessarily reflected on the cards. Because we got a look at how the Jeskai interact with each other outside of, you know, battle. Which is what we get on the cards all the time. And we got the idea that these two were linked, but that there was some inherent conflict in how they were working together. They had very different mentalities. And they served a role that they had to in the sense of Jeskai society, and they had expectations put upon them. But it really got into the heart of what made this a mono-red card, because it was nothing but conflict and distrust and apprehension about working together. And so whenever I think of the time that I started getting into Magic's lore and not just the the background information, but the way it was being realized through storytelling, I think of this because it's stuck in my head and it turned it from these are creatures on the battlefield and turned it into characters in an ongoing storyline. Otherwise, this card's just fine.
0: I would care to follow up that detailed description of why this card is meaningful to you. (laughs) With a petty question. Sure. This card features a pair of twins. Yeah. They are each holding two blades. Sure. Why does it not have quadruple strike?
1: <laughs> I'm going to go to Blogatog. All right. And I'm going to ask Mark Rosewater himself, why on earth? Like, I'm going to tell him that, okay, the triple strike debate relegated to unsets. Perfectly fine. However... This card deserves quadruple strike. And that's how I'll get banned from (laughs) Blogatog.
0: Well, Jacob, if someone wanted to ask you about that time that you lost your head and had it swapped with something by... An ill vec, where could they go? They could find me anywhere they
1: find somebody named Froggersfeld, P H R A W G E R. That's Twitter, that's Tumblr, that's Reddit, and look for a guy that's got eyes the size of dinner plates and a hair like a stalk of celery that just didn't quit. And Bryce, if someone wanted
0: your cure for demon induced migraines, where would they be able to find you? They can find me on Twitter as walking underscore atlas, or you can email us at info at opalnebula.com. And the cure is holy water. Straight up holy water. Oh, duh. Like, of course. Obviously. Right. For more Talking Atlas, find us on iTunes, Google Play, or our website, opalnebula.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please
1: consider finding us on Discord. The link to the Opal Nebula Discord will be in the description for today's episode, and you should go there so you can tell us which non-basic land from any Ravnica set you would want to live in. And then we will give you a short description of your room in that land. And all the knickknacks that you've accumulated during your work for that guild. Or maybe just your little flat in Mazes End.
0: Thank you very much. I happen to really enjoy my cozy overlook of Ravnica. Uh, you You can't see what I'm doing right now, and you won't in the video either when I make that, but I was angrily flipping my hair uh, it's only on one my <laughs> hair is very asymmetrical it's only it's only long on the right side so i was flicking I can anyway picture it. yep until next time happy planes walking everyone